0: Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my bro host. Hey, it's your brother Shane. <laughs> um, and this week we are talking about World of Horror. Spooky. You know, we are historically pretty bad at getting horror games into the month of October for our uh, release schedule for the podcast, so I just want to pat ourselves on the back right now, we're talking about a bonafide horror game. In fact, it has horror in the title, so you know it's scary. <laughs> we, we've literally done this, like, many, many times where we're like, yes, okay, we've got our schedule figured out in advance. We're going to do a horror game for the week of, uh, of uh, Halloween, right? And every single time that I can think of, something has caused that to slip or bump off of the schedule, and it's ended up being in, like, November or January or never. And so uh, here we are talking about a bonafide horror game. Um, World of Horror is really weird. This is a really strange game. And it was not at all what totally I totally unique. Yeah, really this is. this feels like a complete labor of love this game. And uh, it, it extremely wears its like influences on its sleeves. Like this. I also think this is like a this is a game that turns out to be weirdly like right up my alley and then maybe strangely still a bit of a miss for me, which is a little bit of a weird experience. Uh, let's, let me start by just talking about what world of horror is. Yeah. World of horror is a point and click adventure game crossed with a roguelike crossed with a survival horror slash investigation game. And all of that is mixed up together with the horror works of uh, Junji Ito, which is probably the biggest direct influence on the art and the story. Um, It's mixed up with the horror of H.P. Lovecraft, where there are lots of very clear elements in here. And on top of that, it's very clearly influenced by early HyperCard games, For the black and white Macintosh. Yeah. So there are a lot of pieces in this soup that are extremely up my alley. In particular, that like one-bit graphics style uh, and and the Ito influence are both really big pluses for me. Really cool. Yeah, so there's there's so much stuff there. I feel like we need to break this down a little bit before we get into talking too much about like how the game plays. I do want to. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to spend forever just talking about the influences here, but I feel like we need to break that down somewhat. Maybe more than just this game. I, I'm happy to have a chance to talk about Ito on the podcast because real. I am. I'm a very. I wouldn't say like I'm like the world's biggest, uh, Junji Ito fan, but I really do like it. One of the. Th- Let me give you a little bit of backstory with me. I've always been a bit of a horror fan. I've always enjoyed horror, and um, early in college, uh, there was a movie theater near. Oh yeah, the near. Well, it's it was over in uh, on the campus of Rice University, and we were we're not too far from there. And they were have they would have these weird late night movies, and at one point they did a showing of the film adaptation of uzumaki which for those of you who may not have may not be aware of it uzumaki is probably ito's most famous comic um the story of I- uzumaki it's a three volume series about a a town that kind of becomes um obsessed with and overtaken by spirals just the shape spiral which is a bizarre kind of horror concept, but it was incredibly well executed in the comics. The movie is a little corny, but even so I found the movie like kind of scary. And it was enough to kick me off into like reading the comic and getting more and more into Ito. And it's also because Ito has this incredibly bold, incredibly stark black and white aesthetic to his comics. All of his comics are in black and white with uh, very clean inking, uh, except where it gets messy in a way that's often used for very horrific effect. Mm -hmm. Ito's comics are things that often individual panels of his comics are so scary to look at that they get shared around online. Like if if you visit like the the creepy subreddit. You will probably not have to scroll down three pages before you see a piece of Ito art. Yeah, he, uh, he creates truly horrifying imagery. In terms of it being passed around online, like I think th- at this point, probably the most likely thing for somebody to have encountered of Junji Ito's work is the. Um, uh, I forget the title something about Amigara Amigara Fault, fault? yes yeah, the, the, uh, the event at Amigara Fault or something like that um, if you if you've been around on sites like Reddit or or other places like that this gets shared a lot because it's pretty short and it works really well yeah. it's a it's a a short story about uh, a, a fault the line the enigma of Amigara That's Fault it. thank you and yeah uh, uh, a fault line opens up and a bunch of holes appear that are in the shape of people. And they these people feel compelled to crawl into their own holes in the rock face. And it's about this, this, uh, the, you know, this unnatural compulsion to, to do this horrible, terrifying, self-destructive thing. Um, very good, creepy stuff. And his whole career is full of stuff like that. Like Shane, I know you're a big fan of the, the Tomy, uh, Comics and yeah, so Tomy is a series about this one s- spooky, evil, immortal <laughs> girl who is in kind of early in the comics is a. Um, it seems like it's just this this girl who died, but then like somehow is still alive and is. It, it, a sinister force and uh, men fall in love with her and are driven to self-destructive madness or often more frequently to murder her. Uh, But because she is this immortal, disturbing force, you know, she returns in the next issue every time. So it's a a strange comic. I actually have found Tomy to be extremely disturbing to the point of nightmares um i i do not recommend reading tomi uh, or honestly any ito like at late at night and uh, that's not to say that there's uh there's not some like kind of hits and misses in ito's work like there are some ups and downs uh i don't find every single piece of his writing to be like perfect oh, man. for example i'm did you the, read gyo the, yeah, I was gonna say Gyo. Uh. Uh, that's his other big series, and Gyo is basically a story about, um, uh, like, haunted fish, I believe, yeah, or that, like it has a monster one, it fish. Has an absolutely killer uh, intro, which is one of these things where like you you look at the the first few pages of the story and. And you're like, how? How on earth is this going to go down? And the the yeah. answer is, it doesn't really work very well as the the story progresses. The beginning of it is great, though. It's uh, fish and sharks and whales are creeping up out of the ocean, uh, supported by massive metal legs with like sharp pincher claws, and they're coming up out of the ocean to eat people or or kill people. It's like, what? Why? How did that happen? And the answer. Reader will disappoint you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, what I will say for Ito is he—he's really a master of short horror. And I mean, yeah. this is not—it's not, it's not uh, uh, you know groundbreaking for me to say that like long form horror is a lot harder to do than short form horror. Yeah. Um, but you know, whatever your personal fear is, there's probably uh, an Ito short that kind of hits it. I remember for me. Um, one of them that really like messed me up was called, uh, I think it's called the chill and it is, uh, there's a disease that makes like holes appear all over people's bodies. Uh, and it's just like holes open up in these people's skin and they're like whistling sounds are coming out and it's just gross and horrifying. (laughs) Uh, very, very good. I mean, Amigara fault, like you mentioned is really good. There are there are a lot of like really weird ones. There there's a there's a really bizarre one where where people's heads start flying off of their bodies as balloons uh, and murdering people <laughs> and like yeah. So that one's called the Hanging Balloons. It, people's heads start flying off of their bodies and th- with nooses tied around the bottom to go and like start pulling. Uh, other people's heads off, and <laughs> people start to realize that everyone on Earth has one of these balloon heads, like versions of themselves, like floating around there trying to kill people. I don't remember why. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's a some of this stuff is extremely on the weird side. Yeah. Like, but that's what I love. And what's what's interesting to me about it is that like this game, it's taking a lot of inspiration from that, but Ito isn't cthulhu mythosy so that's this right is, this is his his style of horror is like alternating between things like the like balloon heads and sharks with feet and uh and things that are a little more grounded like there's someone in my house or uh yeah. you know there's uh you know the the more sort of grounded uh horror of some of his other works uh but n- none of it really does the like dark and evil gods or things from outside of of human knowledge and space kind of thing it's you know it, it just doesn't intersect with that style of horror um but in this game that as a mashup you know old gods meets th- the sort of uh horror of small town japan in the ito style is pretty effective i think actually like when it, when it when it actually comes together um, so, like, that's definitely something that I think this game is, it, to, to its credit, it's doing a really good job of synthesizing those two things, two popular horror flavors. Um, and also, its choice of the art style, the, the, um, what you called the sort of hypercard art style, really the sort of the one bit black and white graphics, that works really well, well here, too, because it's obviously trying to evoke like retro uh, computing stuff but also that stark black and white really mirrors Ito's style even if it is pixelated. It really has the yeah. feeling of like if you were trying to make a Junji Ito game in 1985, this is what it would have looked like if they had absolutely unlimited budget for art and uh and unlimited storage and everything. So well, I don't know. Like back in those days like the Th- this this actually is close to how this kind of thing would have been done back in the day in terms of art, because what we haven't mentioned is that it's the same guy doing the coding and the art in this. True. yeah. A uh, developer I should mention is, uh, uh, he's a Polish developer, apparently from an article I read. He's, he's a developer and part-time dentist, and his name is uh, Paweł Kosminski, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Panstaz. Or I may be pronouncing that wrong. But anyway, that, uh, that's his developer nom de plume. Um, and uh, he's been working on this game solo since at least sometime around 2016, which is when the demo originally came out on itch.io. Um, it came out on Steam uh, as a early access game at the beginning of the year, around February. And it's supposedly coming out on other platforms, including Switch uh, later this year. Although I have a feeling based on what I'm seeing in the early access stuff that mm, when they said late 2020, maybe they mean early 2021. So, um, I think this is basically ready to go. If you're, you know, I don't think we're going to see any major, uh, additions or additions to the game when it leaves early access, but, uh, it's, it's coming to those other platforms eventually, if that's something that's relevant for you. Are you ready to talk about how this game works? Because that's the weirdest part. Very weird, yes. Let's talk about it. This game is, it's an artistic mashup because we've got already, we're talking about genre and and like retro art style and all these different things brought together. But it is also a really unique uh, gameplay mashup because what we have here, what I was expecting was kind of a horror adventure style game. Um, sort of, how was this game described to you? Okay, so I, I was, I also was very surprised by how this game actually worked. I was not, uh, it's not so much that I had like a whole lot of preconceived notions going in. I just didn't really, I couldn't really conceive of even looking at screenshots. I really couldn't conceive of how you'd make a horror, uh, adventure game, uh, roguelike. It also describes itself with some terminology that kind of threw off my expectations. For example, it says, experiment with your deck of event cards to discover new forms of cosmic horror in every playthrough uh, as part of the Steam description. And we can talk about what event cards mean in the context here, but I was expecting a more card game. Based on that, I was expecting a little more card game-iness. And uh, I was also expecting maybe a little bit more of the the roguelike-iness to it, although it does have that. But what really surprised me was how much this plays like uh, like a sort of a novel interactive fiction form that I haven't seen before. Um, so yes, it it has a sort of point-and-click adventure game style interface, um, but the game is structured into... Well, let me back up a step. When you boot up the game, you first see a sort of interface for a retro computer. And you can do some things to control things like, for example, how far into the screen do you see a border that looks like an old CRT or not? Not that kind of thing. You can um, pull out far enough to be looking like past the screen out a window. And I didn't play it that way, but I, I <laughs> because I just couldn't I, I, I couldn't stand the idea that like something would jump out at me from that window. <laughs> you know actually Um, in the in the steam description it says there are no jump scares and i can cosign that there's no this is not i was expecting jump scares actually i didn't notice that earlier but this is not a game that relies on jump scares for horror um but yeah you you have this uh this retro computer interface and when you boot it up um it had it it loads the it loads up a uh, an intro sequence which is the same each time you play um, yep. and it sort of sets up that you are in a town that has been cut off from the outside world in some way and uh that there is uh that, that dark forces are at work old gods are rising um things are creepy etc uh the, the modern conveniences have made the world weird Uh, it it gives you the same intro every single time you play. Um, But when you boot into the game, you basically have, uh, you can can go to your house or to this lighthouse as your first place to go. Uh, The lighthouse is locked. It's sort of the end game location. And uh, so if you go back to your apartment, in your apartment, you have a cork board, uh, the sort of, you know, crazy person cork board uh, covered with uh, mysteries. And, in any playthrough, you have to solve five mysteries in order to get five you have to keys. Get five keys to yeah. open the lighthouse. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the mysteries themselves, I think. Do you know how many different mysteries there are that it might put onto this cork board? Because it's definitely a larger selection than five. It's quite a few. It seemed like. Yeah, I have to double check. I, I think um, I think that the website said there are ten of them in early access. I think okay. there's more than that now. I think there's like thirteen or fourteen now. Yeah, and each of these. Each of these adventures, I keep it saying adventures, investigations, I guess you should say, mysteries, plays out um, as kind of a series of places to go and things to see, um, items to collect. Uh, so you're progressing in basically the style of a early point-and-click adventure game. And when I say early, I mean that it has a like a, a verb uh, menu. Like, if you think about games like Maniac, the early Mani- the first Maniac Mansion, that gave you, like, a-, a verb palette to use. It's kind of like that, although it actually has a very large verb palette, especially once you get into combat, which is the other place where it's, I would say, quite different from your point-and-click adventure games. And in that way, it's maybe more like... Um, some of those early dungeon crawler type games. I would say the the number one comparison for it, and this is probably not a touch point for everybody, but if you've ever played Japanese adventure games, especially mystery or uh, or horror Japanese adventure games, the, the, the lineage of like point and click adventure games from Japan is very different in a few interesting ways from American ones. And this draws a lot of inspiration from those. I'm thinking of like, Uh, like going back to like the Portopia um, mystery case Uh, and there's, there's others Uh, that was the the very first one in Japan actually as uh, by one of the same developers as dragon quest. So pretty big deal over there. Um, There's, there's a, there's a lot of games in this sort of like mystery genre in point and click adventure games over there. Um, A lot of them are on consoles and they, they tend to have a first person perspective, uh, they tend to do that sort of verb choice style of of menu driven, uh, you know, selecting from from a, a menu of verbs to progress. Some of them do have combat, um, and the combat is often a lot like this. And so, if if that's a style of game that you've ever checked out, this is very much in that vein, which is, I think, smart because it. I mean, it it, it does sort of feel like if. In the 1980s, somebody had in Japan had sat down to make a game based on the manga of uh, of Junji Ito. It would have been a lot like this JRPG combat, I guess. It's pretty close. You have uh, you have two main stats for your main character. You have um, you know HP basically and reason, which is sort of like your uh, your sanity meter. Although I actually kind of appreciate that they've renamed it to reason here. There are some arguments, probably convincing ones, that uh, that calling things like sanity in a game is a little bit ableist, um, and a lot of games have started trying to move away from that as terminology, even in horror games. Um, so anyway, your your reason score and your HP. Uh, are both very important, and you can get de- if you get depleted on either one, you die. So, you know, combat is about using weapons, using allies that you have collected along the way, and uh, there are multiple ways to attack the various creatures that you will encounter throughout the game. Uh, so, this is where the game gets the most complex. Yeah, it's very complicated. <laughs> um, the And made more so by the fact that a lot of the uh, options on screen are a little obscure. Uh, in very, like, old game kind of way, a lot of the options are represented by fairly small icons that you have to mouse over in order to get a label for them. I, I absolutely think... Uh, listeners should just look up some screenshots for what the user interface of this game looks like. Mm-hmm. Now, I will do my best to kind of describe like a typical screen. Let's say you are um, you are investigating, as I did, um, a ramen shop, in which everyone in town is lining up to to eat from this ramen shop. But you know something must be wrong because the guy inside is creepy. Um, so. You know, you're exploring around. Now you've got uh, a, a grid of buttons uh, with kind of mystery meat icons on them that, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe, like, you have to mouse over to know what they do. And they are things like, you know, go to downtown. And if you go to downtown, then you have a, a whole other grid of icons to go different places. But this is, like, maybe um, maybe 20% of the screen is taken up by this kind of in- information and interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, The right side of your screen has a portrait of you, which in Doom style, uh, as you are reduced in your stats, uh, slowly becomes bloodied and terrified. Um, There is a kind of a main window area that shows enemies uh, that might be attacking you or the scenery of the location where you are. Uh, There is a readout panel at the bottom of the screen that is kind of a running log of the events that have happened. And all of this kind of stuff is always on screen. Um, the, the, the screen resolution is fairly low. Uh, the, you know, you know, it's in, in terms of creating the one bit aesthetic, black and white, uh, highly pixelated. So they're, they're really cramming just an incredible amount of stuff um, into the always on screen UI, which is really an odd choice. It is really odd. I just looked up what a, what a screenshot of. of uh, in this case, it's a screenshot of invest uh, examining an item. Um, and this is uh, this is you know you click on an, your inventory, you click on an item, and you get like a more or less full screen uh, investigation of that item with an image, a description, some, and then uh, and then a panel of. Icons that you can click on to take an action with that item. And there are 21 options now about half of them are grayed out or dimmed to indicate that you can't do that with a specific item but there are but all of them are on screen 21 buttons that you can use to do something to one of these items and that's excluding the uh seven buttons below your portrait to go to different parts of the interface like really really dense in terms of ui and options here um and I think that's both a plus and a minus. You know, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It makes the game really tough to get into the first time you boot it up. Um, you know, there there's a there is a tutorial. I didn't find the tutorial until I'd played through the game a couple of times because it, it I missed it among all of the other things on screen. You have to click it to go to to do that tutorial. So it's it's a really, really busy game. I found myself having a really hard time playing this game until I watched someone play it. I watched a YouTube video of it. um, And by watching someone else play it, I got a much better handle on how this game works. But it's, it's, like I said, it's a plus and a minus. It's very daunting, the UI of this game, when you first boot it up. Once you've got a little more of a handle on it, it's pretty functional. It's designed to be something where like all of the options that you might want are available on screen almost all of the time. Um, and so that that means that if you are moving through these stories, you can do that with some speed. Uh, and that serves the the stories a little bit, because if you are playing through the same set of, sort of 13-ish stories multiple times, you're going to want to be able to Try to get to things, get through things you may have seen before, and try the thing, try the new things you haven't tried before, uh, without spending a lot of time like slowly reading long pages of text or or what have you. So again, bit bit of a plus and a minus, but be aware that this game does not skimp on throwing UI chrome on screen at all. It sure doesn't, um, and like you said, it is quite efficient. This is. And it, this is also kind of part of the retro aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Like the, this this game uh, walks this really uh, kind of – it's extremely retro, but in a way sort of timely line. Like there's a lot of games that are aesthetically like reaching back towards kind of the kind of er- days of early computing. Uh, we've talked about many of them on this podcast. Um, the, the The thing that distinguishes this one is that usually the ones that we see that are doing that are doing it in – um kind of this vaporwave like glossy candy coated aesthetic um and certainly not very much mo- very often in this sort of horror styling which I-, I think is really cool and if you're into it like it this game is gonna a thousand percent be for you uh the the thing that the thing that's I would like to talk about is, does this game work for you on the level of horror? Yeah, that's an interesting thing to talk about. Does, did this game scare you? No. Because not really. The thing that scares me in Ito is the imagery. And part of the imagery is... The the artistry, which I think you you filter some of that artistry away by putting in things in kind of one bit presentation, um, it's not quite as effective. And then just more more broadly speaking, like the so here here's an example um, in one of the short stories that I I, I love from Jun, Jun Junji Ito. Uh, it's called uh, My Honored Ancestors and there's an image in that uh that is just unexplainable it's basically a, a man with an seemingly infinite number of foreheads stacked up on top of his head in the the making a shape that looks like an enormous caterpillar <laughs> okay i can't explain that to you very well and i i think if and it it just would not translate well into Almost anything, like the 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 kind of stuff that you do see in here, in terms of the like horror elements, is your your, your like spooky enemies and uh, the kind of old god kind of stuff, um, and all of that is a little bit more uh, traditional horror and a little bit more cosmic H.P. Lovecraft horror in terms of its subject matter. You know, like there is going to be ghouls and ghosts. And um, tentacle monster em, gods, yeah, and yeah, uh, and all of that stuff is great, uh, but it's not—it's not what really distinguishes Ito for me. Which is where kind of that that thread kind of is is left a bit hanging. You know, we're 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 on the topic here of does this work for you? Does this scare you? Does yeah, this, this work is for you as this horror? is personal for me. D- th- this does not scare me to that level. No, I, I honestly. I would have actually think – I think some jump scares would have been good for this game. I kind of agree. I would have liked more of an actually like – I would have liked this to be scarier. Um, But that's not to say that this doesn't work for me in a different way that we can get to in a second. But addressing that specifically, uh, things that – the other things that I think make this like slightly dull its edge as a horror thing, this is a small thing, but I think it, it makes a big difference. It's very tightly cropped. Um, You know, you, you mentioned with Junji Ito, you know, you turn a page and you're assaulted by this like full page horror image that is just, you know, surprising and unnerving and, and, you know, and there's also the dread of turning that page, right? You know, that something is going to be on that next page and you turn it and there it is. And it's shocking and really undoes you, right? And this game doesn't quite make that happen. And I think it's, a couple of reasons. One is that you don't get that sort of horror build. Um, we'll talk a little bit later about the structure of how this game does it. its like random events. Some of this game is randomized, and some of it is is uh, is you know more in a sort of beat to beat pre planned story. But in neither of those did I ever sort of have that feeling of the build exactly, like, you know, the the like something horrible is about to happen when I click to the next screen. I didn't quite, I didn't quite approach that. And then when something horrible does happen, it's happening in a fairly small window within your window, right? It's it's uh, the way the UI is structured, you, you you're actually seeing these horrific images very tightly cropped, you know, if you are encountering like a a ghost, for example, a horrifying ghost of a, of a teenager haunting uh, a high school bathroom, for example, uh, that teenager ghost, you don't see the full thing. You see their face close to the screen, uh, for the most part, this is how a lot of this game is presented in these, in these sort of close ups, right? Um, and something about it just sort of the the framing of it for me kind of undoes some of the horror that something like Junji Ito accomplishes by by doing these like small image on screen so it doesn't have that impact usually tightly cropped so you don't get the sort of surrounding context doesn't have the sort of build up to it in the same way this now we're comparing comic books and and games but like Horror games, ha- other in other structures, have been able to get that build uh, pretty darn effective. Um, I, I think this game learns and does a lot of interesting things from horror interactive fiction, but in the in the sense of like how it builds its horror and sort of un, unfurls its like horror scenarios, um, it doesn't quite make it there. So I would say this, while it markets itself as a horror game, I feel like this works primarily. As a adventure game, rogue a roguelike adventure game, which is an interesting thing we can talk about more. Um, with horror, using horror imagery, but not really with. I'm not sure what the intent is, but it doesn't successfully scare me. But that's okay. Like it doesn't have to scare me to be interesting. Uh, but yeah, to that point, it's not scary. Yes, uh, I, I think you will, without a doubt, see scary imagery in this game. Like it, it definitely is there the way that it's presented kind of gives you this odd distance from it. Mm -hmm. Like you were talking about the cropping and, 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 and having how it, you're not seeing things full out. All of the presentation of it is there to give you almost like a physical distance from the, the horror elements. Like Mm -hmm. between me and the ghost, uh, there is, uh, like, a a couple of levels of UI box. Um, and outside of that, even still, there's this like virtual computer thing. Mm-hmm. So like, it's like a screen within a screen within a screen. And that gives you this kind of um, safe distance from it, which is kind of, and it, I hadn't really thought about it in that way. It's kind of interesting. And, and it's like, you'll see this stuff and be like, that's a cool image. And that's, you even can look at it and recognize like, ooh, cool horror imagery, but it doesn't have, it doesn't have its sort of horror effect on you, or at least it didn't for mm-hmm. me at all. But that's okay. I think what's really interesting about the game is its structure as a sort of uh, roguelike interactive fiction, um, which is something I don't think I've ever really seen. I've certainly never seen anything do it using this approach before. And it it mostly works for me. Like, I, I, I didn't quite... I never got, for example, to open the lighthouse, so I, um, I, I don't know exactly how it carries itself the whole way through. But I think this structure is really, really interesting and unusual yeah. and mostly successful. I, I would actually compare it mostly to Fallen London because that has elements. There are elements in Fallen in London where you are stylistically there. They couldn't be more different. Um, but well, they're both, they both have some horror elements. But in Fallen in London, there are these things where you are doing a lot of like clicking to navigate around and, you know, collecting items um, and also repeating certain sequences, you know, in order to get the result you're looking for. This game is a really good version of that for its subject matter and for its art and so on. And it is kind of, you kind of brought up the, the idea of these cards, kind of brought up that like you you can customize like what is in the cards and each card represents kind of an event. Um, I think the term cards here is kind of coming from the legacy of HyperCard where so many really interesting pieces of early um, interactive fiction and and early video games, uh, right up to things like Mist, uh, were built using the HyperCard system, uh, which was <laughs> designed for databases and stuff like that. But anyway, the, the it to me, I think that that's a, that interesting aspect of it is it's horror on shuffle, is what it kind of feels like. Yeah. So here is something kind of odd about that. When I went into this game, I was. My number one question was like this wants to do mystery solving or horror mystery, you know, stories in a roguelike or roguelite way. And my first thought was like how on earth do you do like what what that tells me is it's it's run based with procedural generation, right? That's sort of what defines that uh that genre, but like how do you do mysteries in that form? And what it what it means is It's doing a combination of a uh, of these predetermined stories that have sort of interactive fiction like slight branching to them. So you know, uh, us one of your stories might be uh, I'm going to go to a creepy festival back at, uh, at my hometown. And so you, you've got a story that involves a bunch of beats of going back to the hometown, exploring the festival, exploring the town, exploring the, the like woods beyond the town and encountering creepy things with a sort of a culmination, uh, in, uh, discovering a, you know, evil ritual or something like that. Right. And, um, in amongst that are, randomized events. So the the structure of that of these five stories that you have to play through in order to complete the game, um, which they are randomized out of the pool of stories, but you're playing through five stories, um, those stories are fixed. Uh, and in order to progress through them, you will do the same thing every time. And they have multiple endings that you can get depending on certain conditions or what choices you make during those stories. But those play out as – each of those stories is essentially a mini, fairly simple adventure game. But in amongst that are opportunities to engage with other things in the world. Uh, Things as – they can be as simple as like you can do – sort of optional random stuff like clicking on things in the background to see if it unlocks an extra spell for you or what have you some of that is actually quite charming there's there's a very funny one in in the uh i can't remember what the, the na- they all have names like the the rotten report of rancid ramen <laughs> uh yeah. i think the one is like it, the one i'm thinking of is that they use as like an intro is like the the spooky story of scissors at school or something like that <laughs> yeah and in in that one, uh, you're at school. You're at this school at night, um, and there are lots of places where there's a button you can click that just is like look outside, and like whatever you, you like, look over at whatever door or window you're near, and it like opens and. Oh, there's a scary face (laughs) and like that stuff is good. That is like, I like that That That's good stuff. And those sort of little random, uh, not random. Those are, those are more just sort of like optional little micro objectives. And sometimes they just do, they just show you a scary face and other times they give you the opportunity to get something that's potentially useful to you. Um, But the other thing that gets sort of threaded through these pre-fixed stories are random encounters with enemies, mostly combat encounters. And uh, that's, that's like a a plus and a minus. Like, I really, really like the fact that there is some like random stuff that happens in these stories um, that uh, sometimes sort of plays into the story, but is mostly totally random. Um, I like the encounters. So like, Encounter a ghost, have a combat encounter with that ghost. And we can talk in a minute, uh, make sure we do, Shane, about the uh the combat structure, which is like real JRPG stuff. Um, but like the you you know having a hand having like randomized events that happen in amongst the prefix story is cool. It does kind of break up the rhythm of the stories though. Like if you're you know, if a horror story is essentially build, 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 yikes, uh, this kind of breaks it up into like build, build, fight, build, build, fight, build, build, fight. Yikes! Um, yes, and it is those fight scenes that pose the risk of like sending you back to square one right. in roguelike style here. So, um, yeah, that that is that was the probably the biggest surprise for me in terms of how this game tries to adapt the you know what I was expecting, which was kind of Ito style stuff. That is much more uh, in in line with, um, you know, my expectations from a game based on HP Lovecraft, which this also is. But, you know, I've played lots and lots and lots of games based on HP Lovecraft. I've never played a game based on the works of Ito. Yeah. So I, as far as I know, this is, I mean, I'm sure that other people have taken inspiration, but like nothing so, tries to sell itself as essentially Junji Ito, the game like this. This is this is very unique in that way. So yeah, the, the combat encounters are uh, randomly interspersed in the structure. And, um, that is sort of the main source of challenge Uh, and probably my number one frustration with this game. And this is something that like, I probably would get better at this. If I played more of it, I've played maybe four or five hours of this game at this point. Um, I had a really hard time figuring out efficient ways to sort of raise my combat effectiveness because in typical horror game fashion, you know your options dwindle the longer you're playing it's not something where you can just sort of go grind out battles against ghosts in order to get like a you know a really great sword or something most of the time when you're getting things that increase your combat effectiveness it feels basically random you know you you go to the you you, you trip over a stick and it happens to be a scary ghost hitting stick or something right or you get uh, an option to add a sort of random ally to your party and they have some seemingly random stat boost attached to them that increases your abilities or or what have you. Um, But the fact that improving your combat effectiveness, combat is such a core part of this game. Like, If the combat were all gone from this game, you could basically play it like a point and click adventure game and you'd probably get to the end every time, right? You'd probably, the, the, the prefixed stories aren't sources of challenge. They're interesting. They have multiple branching paths, but they aren't super challenging. Um, It's the random encounters with enemies throughout the game that will kick your butt, drain your sanity and you die. Right. Um, But I don't know how to get better at them. Like it's really non-obvious how to get better at the combat. The biggest thing you have to do is uh, get a decent weapon mm-hmm. um, early and uh, you can get an improvised weapon very easily from one of the actions in the bar. But it, it, the only way wep- you can also buy a weapon at like one of the stores, uh, you can find them other places like I, when I was doing the uh, spooky school scissor story. I found a baseball bat in one of the lockers Mm -hmm. and I was able to get through it that way. But I I ran that game a few times and I ran that intro chapter a few times. And uh, when I didn't find the baseball bat, I lost. And when I found the baseball bat, I won. So that's, that's kind of the thing that can make, uh, make or break the difference. And then the other thing is a lot of the monsters you can just run away from. Like you can, you can just, (laughs) you know, just nope out. Uh, Unless, and this is something I don't know if we brought up uh, the great old one that you are dealing with is the spider. Like there is a, there's a random ele- one of the random elements of the game is that for every run you do, there is a great old God that is associated with it that represents like the impending doom. And there's actually a actual doom tracker, like where the doom meter has a percentage that's always visible on screen and everything you do increases your doom percentage. And I one presumes that when the doom percentage fills up, you lose. Um, I, I did not actually have that happen. Uh, I never lived but long the... enough to meet that sort of doom. <laughs> no. Uh, but the... Uh, I forget where I was going with this. Ways to get through the game. Yeah. Like I was saying, run away. Run away is important. Um, there are other ways to approach combat. So we getting to the the specifics of the combat, it's got a lot more options than you might think. Um you know, in, in combat, you have a choice between taking like basic combat actions, you know, hit it with your weapon, and there are uh, things that you can do to enhance your attack, uh, like for example, like uh, preparing your attack by like aiming or what have you. Um, but then there's other stuff you can do. There's a there's an op- there's a whole menu of spiritual options during combat, uh, which I think are specifically important if you're facing against something like a ghost or an incorporeal enemy. And some of those are things like an attack that basically works like hitting it with your weapon, but is in, is, you know, flavored as trying to sever its connection with the world or something like that. But it also has this combat system for doing claps and bows, um, which I thought was really interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen, like, I I, I've, I've, I've watched enough anime to understand that there's a, there's a thing, and I don't know this, the terminology for it or specifics here. So, um, apologies for basically talking out of my ass, um, At shrines in Japan, you're expected to do a certain thing with clapping and and bowing. And there's a specific number of them. I think it's like you you clap three times and bow twice or something like that. There's like a specific thing you're supposed to do. Um, And here it uses that as part of your combat options um, where different enemies have a different combo of bows and claps that you can use to... Um, I don't know, uh, banish them. Um, I never actually got this to work because it's a little bit confusing. Um, it, you Let's say, for example, that you are encountering a ghost. You can't hit it with your weapon. So your options are run away or try to you know, bow and clap at it um, and to, to do a ritual to get rid of it. And so you click on like, okay, I'm going to clap three times and bow twice. And it will tell you two of those actions were correct um but that's very little information so like okay well maybe maybe i need to uh bow twice and clap three times let me try that and it'll still say like two of those actions were correct or maybe none of them are now or something it's specific to the not just which you do but the order so like you know uh clap bow clap bow clap is different from uh clap 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 bow bow for example because the order is different even if the number is the same so it's it's a tricky thing to make work um I really liked that in concept, but I, I I found it really really difficult to make work. It, it's cool flavor, and it's a cool thing to have like a whole different set of combat skills that are focused around uh you know incorporeal in enemies, specifically in something like this where you know a lot of things are going to be ghosts, and and in some cases you may not know whether something is. Uh, is incorporeal, or you know, st- it, you know, you might not know until you try stabbing something with your broken bottle whether that's going to hurt it. Um, so I-, I really liked that idea, but I found the whole combat system a little bit tricky to make work. I wasn't very effective at it. Yeah, and... there's so much going on in this combat system. Yeah. Like, I, we didn't even really get into the fact that you're filling up an action meter, yeah. and like every action has like defined number of action points. Um, I. I think probably figuring that stuff out is part of the joy of this game for people that really like it. Um, I, and I didn't really have that much of a problem with it. I think it is kind of interesting. There are a lot of different actions and figuring out how to optimize like what you're going to do and, and then you can like save and, and reload different action sequences that do things like, you know, I want to use a third of my action to dodge and i want to use the rest to do a light attack and i'll just repeat that and see if that works you know it's it is kind of interesting it seems like yet another unusual inclusion another thing that feels kind of out of place in a game that has a million different things just kind of put into it and uh all working together in to make it to make a very strange whole. It's yeah, it's um it's in it's a bit inscrutable at first. Uh you know, and even if you play through the tutorial, there are portions of the combat system that aren't touched on in the tutorial. You just sort of have to figure them out. Um and that's probably probably part of its design, right? I can imagine that the the developer intends for folks to, you know, feel uh Helpless in the face of these horrifying creatures and whatnot, right? And and that part of the sort of obscurity of the combat system is by design. Um, but yeah, I think my main irritation with it is that my main goal in in a game like this is I want to see as much of this story or these stories as I possibly can. I want to open up that lighthouse and see what's inside. Uh, I really want to see more of the story, and. and uh, I've given that I couldn't really figure out how to increase my combat effectiveness very much. You know, I, I, I found that the, the, my best shot was usually just spend as much time as possible before really going into the main story, uh, exploring so that I randomly happen upon good stuff. But of course, by doing that, you're increasing the doom meter and potentially like boxing yourself in. Um, so it's sort of this balance of like trying to, uh, do more seemingly unrelated to the main story uh, exploration and other stuff. Hopefully, getting new weapons, allies, spells, uh, etc., in order to then, when you do, kind of go back to kind of progressing the main story. Hopefully, you're, you're more effective in the combat. Um, that that that's cool, and I, I like that. I like that it has this more depth to it than just sort of like playing through a a point and click adventure. Um, but I don't know, I I think it skews a little bit too far towards the inscrutability for my personal tastes. Um, even, even if, you know, I, I, I don't think it has like true, like, um, uh, uh, difficulty levels, but even on its like easiest version of the playthrough where you're just playing through the single story, the sort of intro at the school. I never actually completed it because I couldn't quite raise my combat effectiveness high enough to actually take out the horrible lady with the scissors. So it's, it's tricky. Uh, I I definitely want to keep playing this though, like, because I really want to see more of these stories. They are interesting. I love the art, love the art, even if it is just, just not scary enough for me, but it's like, it's still very cool to look at. Um, but overall, I think it's a really, really interesting structure, and I've never played anything that has this structure before, and that that makes it worth yeah. playing on its own. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it'll freak you out more than it freaked me out. <laughs> uh, so I guess I would say to the listeners, if you have any tips on surviving combat encounters in this game, uh, I want to hear those, because the, the combat system, I know there are cool secrets here that i haven't been able to pick up on yet in the few hours that i've spent with the game so if you have checked out this game and you you have any tips i would love to hear them a good way to let us know those tips is to join our discord we are at uh, patreon.com the short game every one of our patrons even a dollar a month gets instant access to our discord and we would love to chat a uh, deep world of horror lore with you if you are you know checking this out during this Most spooky type of year. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. So, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, This is next week, we'll be going back to covering. IF Comp. Uh, so we'll be diving back into the world of uh, interactive fiction. And so, of course, if you have uh, suggestions for us about games that we should be covering in the comp, we're excited to hear them. I can't wait to get back into some of those games that have been on my two playlist from the comp. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, we should hopefully be bringing back in some new guests as well. Uh, and uh, if you want to check out all of our coverage of the comp and everything else that we've been doing, uh, you can go to the where you'll find our uh, episodes page there's a searchable show notes page that will let you search everything we've ever done uh, and you can also of course link from there to our patreon uh, you can find us on twitter that's underscore short game uh, at underscore short game on twitter uh, and of course you can find me on twitter at reagan k that's r-a-y-g-a-n-k and shane where can people find you you can find me on twitter at 8bit shane and listeners thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the short game and happy halloween